Set in a post-apocalyptic Italy, Mondo Canet tells the story of two boys who join a gang to survive, only to have their friendship put to the test by its charismatic leader. A hit at the Venice Film Festival, Cine Europa calls it an entertaining, dystopic work that draws from John Carpenter to Lord of the Flies. And Vanity Fair says, Oliver Twist meets Blade Runner in the dusty and industrial world of Mondo Canet. The film opens May 20th at the Angelica Film Center in New York and coming soon to select cities. More info at cinemamadeinitaly.com. Welcome to a new episode of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This week, we're featuring a Q&A with Hong Sang Soo on his new film, In Front of Your Face, moderated by FLC's Director of Programming, Dennis Lim. After years of living abroad, a middle-aged former actress has returned to South Korea to reconnect with her past and perhaps make amends. Over the course of one day in Seoul, via various encounters, including with her younger sister, a shopkeeper who lives in her converted childhood home, and finally, a well-known film director with whom she would like to make a comeback. We discover her resentments and regrets, her financial difficulties, and the big secret that's keeping her aloof from the world. Both beguiling and oddly cleansing in its mix of the spiritual and the cynical, in front of your face finds the endlessly prolific Hong Sang Soo in a particularly contemplative mood. It's a film that somehow finds that life is at once full of grace and a sick joke. In Front of Your Face is playing daily in our theaters. Get tickets at filmlink.org face. Before the Q&A, listen to a programmer's preview of Human Conditions, the films of Mike Lee, our upcoming retrospective on the British filmmaker, led by FLC programmers Dan Sullivan and Maddie Whittle. Taking place from May 27th to June 8th and co-presented with Janice Films, Human Conditions, the films of Mike Lee, will feature brand new restorations, 35mm print screenings, and in-person Q&As with Lee himself. Get tickets at filmlink.org Lee. Hi, my name is Maddie Whittle. I am a member of the programming team at Film at Lincoln Center. And I'm Dan Sullivan. I'm also a member of the programming team here at Film at Lincoln Center. And we are very happy to be with you today to tell you a little bit about FLC's upcoming retrospective, Human Conditions, the films of Mike Lee, which we're co-presenting with our friends at Janus Films. By our count, this is Mike Lee's first retrospective in New York in about 30 years. So by necessity, it is uh, the most comprehensive uh, retrospective of his work to date. And uh we're very honored to be hosting him for the opening weekend of the retrospective. So the dates for the retrospective are May 27th to uh, June 8th. And so uh, we're very happy to say that Mike will be joining us for the first three days of the festival where he'll be uh, he'll be doing Q&As for three of his best known and uh, acclaimed films, maybe three of his signature uh, films, which we'll be opening with. So we'll be opening with uh, his film Naked, uh, which we'll be doing Q&A for. Then on Saturday, he'll be back to do a Q&A for Secrets and Lies, uh, uh, perhaps his best known uh, f- film of the 1990s. And uh, that'll be followed by the other contender uh, for that crown, which is uh, Topsy Turvy. So he'll be doing a Q&A for that on Sunday. 
and just in the, just in the interest of getting all the housekeeping uh, out of the way, I want to call your attention to the uh, the unbeatable value of our of the passes that we have uh, available for this uh, for the retrospective. Uh, we have an all access pass, which is exactly what it sounds like, and uh, that is priced at uh, seventy nine dollars. And then we'll have a we have a, a student pass as well, which is thirty five dollars. So. Um, if you're a longtime fan of Mike Lee's work, or if you don't know it so well and you've just been curious about it, or if you're completely in the dark and uh, want to find out what Mike Lee is all, Mike Lee and his films are all about, uh, I do recommend those passes as a surefire and hopefully very accessible uh, way to uh, kind of get a foot in the door and 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 to enjoy his his incomparable work. And of course, uh, this retrospective uh, will uh, include all of his uh, theatrical feature films to date. So, um, so yeah. And we should mention that the uh, the the impetus for this series, the, the inspiration for this series, came in part from the fact that our friends at Janus are uh, currently preparing uh, new 2K and 4K restorations of eight of Mike's older films. And uh, so we will be prominently featuring those. All three of the films that will have Mike in appearance for Q&As are newly restored. I just attended a tech check for Naked in the Walter Reed Theater, and it looks gorgeous. It's, uh, if you've seen the film, you know that the ending is, is quite striking. It really grabs you by the lapels. And I think seeing this new restoration in the Walter Reed Theater is going to be really thrilling um, and a great way to kick off this series, which will really cover the breadth of his career. Um, and as Dan mentioned, it's been 30 years since a New York retrospective. Uh, MoMA gave him a career retrospective in the early 90s. Uh, but given that uh, much of his best work came in the decade that followed, we're very excited to be able to have him back to uh, revisit that decade in addition to the decades that have followed since. Yeah, and he's... he's uh... Mike is certainly no stranger uh, around these parts. He's been uh, more or less a perennial uh, fixture at the New York Film Festival over the years. Uh, a you know a large, uh, I'd say a large percentage of the films that were including the retrospective had their New York premiere um, in the context of the New York Film Festival main slate. Um, but we're hoping that this retrospective will uh, mark. Uh, kind of a novel opportunity, I guess, to uh, to watch a bunch of his films in close proximity to one another, and maybe to arrive at some new ideas or some new impressions of his of his entire project uh, beyond just kind of the the qualities of a uh, of an individual film. Especially for someone like Lee, who. Um, not only has a very distinctive working method that I'm sure we will get a chance to explore with him in conversation that has to do with the way he works with his actors and crafting the script and um, and, and even the, the building the characters themselves. I think it's going to be exciting to see all the films in one place in this retrospective format, in part because of the way that he has grown and aged with the actors he's worked with. You know, we'll be showing... Um, the films in which he worked with Timothy Spall, some in the early 90s, some in the, you know, as recent as the mid-teens. And uh, just to see the trajectory of that artistic relationship, I think, is really what retrospectives are all about, seeing how that develops. 
Yeah, I think um, there's a there's kind of an interesting documentary dimension to all of his work. I, uh, but you know, in part at the le- in part it's at the level of subject matter because his films are. Um, Although he later in, in his career he made some more sort of uh, kind of opulent uh, high production value like uh, period films, um, I think the films that really made his name were extremely present tense uh, social dramas about um, about England uh, at the time of at the time of their making, um, and so yeah, I think it'll also be interesting to track. Uh, like as you were saying, um, watching watching the actors, the who comprise his his sort of signature troupe um, over the years, and that adding this other documentary layer, where um, over and above, or in addition to his films, kind of chronicling um, some of the political and social. Uh, forces at work in England in the 1980s, 1990s, and the 2000s, um, uh, that's that's quite macro, you know, on more micro or intimate level, uh, just watching watching uh, people across, you know, people across the years and, um, and seeing how they develop as performers and as uh, parts of his whole, the whole Mike Lee universe, I guess. And if you're not familiar with his project, I definitely encourage you to just take a look at the trailer, the very beautiful trailer that we have uh, prepared for this series, because I think it really captures what he's all about in the sense that it uh, his work centers characters and centers these very detailed, very intimate, sometimes startling uh, portraits of these individuals who are often shown in a way that is not necessarily flattering, but that is true and that feels very uh, true to life and true to the reality of the milieu that he's focusing on, Um, uh, you know, speaking as an outsider to that milieu. But I uh, feel through his films as though uh, I've, you know, been given an entry point and I think if you watch the trailer you'll kind of get a a sense of how that what that means across his filmography because it it means different things in the different decades of his career yeah maybe um maybe we could talk a little bit about a few you know personal heights we we of course we love all the films equally but for the purposes of time we're not going to run through each film in the retrospective although we do recommend that you see all of them we'll we'll Instead, uh, just try to steer you towards uh, a few things that, in our estimation, you should not miss. I can begin with uh, maybe with Secrets and Lies, um, which was kind of kind of a breakout hit for him in the nineteen in nineteen the mid nineteen nineties. It's a it's a very uh, interesting film about uh, yeah again everyday people. That is one of his consistent one of his most consistent uh, subjects. Uh, but in this case, um, uh, the drama sort of uh, centers on and hovers around a young uh, Afro-English uh, woman who is trying to locate her birth mother who uh, put her up for adoption before um, any real relationship could form. And uh, she... Uh, reunites uh, with her mother and um, her mother sort of negotiates the possibility of reintroducing uh, or 
really introducing for the first time a biological family member who has been excluded from the family nest uh, up to this point and and you know some of the uh, reverberations around around that but as with all of his films it's it's uh, a striking ensemble ensemble piece that uh, uh, again like all his films is uh, is funny it's moving uh, it is sometimes uh, a little dark um, uh, just like life um, and yeah on the whole it's it's you know it's a film I think you can you can come back to uh, over the years uh, time and again and it's rich enough that there's still um, there's still something new in there some facet of a character some way that he staged uh, what can seem like a really simple scene but uh, becomes profound, I think, when um, when executed as he does. I'll just say a little bit about uh, Naked, his film from 1993, which we'll be opening the retrospective with, uh, and he will be here for a Q&A with, for that film as well. It is a film that's, that's difficult to encapsulate in terms of a plot, but it centers on a character played by David Thewlis, who's uh, sort of an angry, violent, sadistic, and very funny kind of drifter just moving through the world um in kind of a kind of a uh eternal night of of the heart you know he's very he's he's living in darkness in a real way but he's also um captured with such humanity and which with such vividness in this this sort of dynamo of a performance by by Thulis um that it's impossible not to be captivated by him even as you're recoiling from him. And uh, I, I referenced the beginning of the film um, a moment ago, and it, it the film begins with an attempted sexual assault right off the bat. It's, it's um, immediately sort of lays out the stakes of what it will mean to become attached to this character and to, to enter his world. And I think the entire film is sort of informed by that tension of being frightened of this character and also just being completely compelled by him and uh I think that's in some ways uh departure for Lee in the sense that uh, that the sort of the the actual um aesthetic darkness the, the 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 formal darkness of the film almost veering on kind of a noir quality uh feels um distinct from the sort of everydayness of many of his other settings, but I think that it's accomplishing a very similar effect, which is sort of presenting you with a person who you may or may not encounter in your own daily life, but allowing you insight into why they are the way they are and, you know, allowing you to imagine uh, how you might respond to them if you encountered them in real life it's a kind it's you know it's a kind of fiction that is all about sort of the hypothetical of of of, a, of an encounter with the person that it's framing um i hope that sell, sells the movie <laughs> yeah it's also um to me it's like uh perhaps the closest any filmmakers ever come to making a film in the style of uh louis ferdinand saline's uh uh you know kind of canonical uh novel journey to the end of the night uh in fact that 
you know, that could be the log line for Naked is the journey to the end of the night. Um, and it's also, yeah, it's sort of, I think as you were um, kind of gesturing towards, it's it's one of his most uh, visually remarkable films, in part because of um, the way that he works with filming at night and, um, uh, you know, filming filming the city kind of in a, in a way that differs uh, from the other uh, films which are maybe a little more concerned with kind of um, the mundane and the everyday and the domestic think, textures kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I want to. I do want to spend one moment on a film that's freshest in my memory because I just watched it yesterday, called Career Girls from 1997, and it's. I just wanted to mention this film because I think it's a in some ways a uh, in some ways a polar opposite from Naked, but in other ways still emanating from the same uh the same mind it's about these two 30 year old women uh who lived together for four years in their early 20s when they were students in london and now one of them lives in london and the other has come to visit her from elsewhere in the country um and they spend a few days together and the course of the film is divided between uh sort of flashbacks or memory sequences uh to moments of their time together as students in their early 20s, interwoven with scenes from this period of time that they spent together um, visiting and catching up. And the film just plunges you right into their lives, but also is sort of into their frames of reference, I think, in a way that um, as a a 31-year-old woman living in the city, I, I found both sort of familiar and bracingly fresh and like there's a there's just an insight to the way that he captures the the mental currents and the emotional currents of these two women who are are drawn to each other but also have certain tensions between them and have and and these come out in their in the most mundane of interactions and the most sort of seemingly trivial topics of conversation and the film is just sort of weaving this story of their relationship yeah i was gonna say it the um the plot of career girls is really like nothing more and nothing less than um sort of the history of the friendship between between um the two women at the center of the film and the film does a uh, kind of an astonishing job for, like forwarding a sense of like of of what a friendship feels like um how it develops over the years what are the what are the the moments or experiences that punctuate that and and kind of confer meaning on um on uh you know a friendship or any relationship between two people really um uh but again it's it's like a superbly you know mesmerizingly acted uh film that um that also featured because of the flashback structure um features some kind of uh some kind of fun look backs to uh to the 1980s from what you know around the time when lee um starts working in cinema um some look backs to uh to uh the 1980s from the vantage point of the late 90s like once um once Lee is already this uh, established kind of uh, giant of of world cinema. Yeah. 
And there's a lot of, uh, there, there are certain markers that, that appear as motifs throughout the film that, that sort of reference the evolution of pop culture in that window, which I think is a really clever and, and sort of resonant way of capturing the very specific moments when it's taking place. Yeah, the Cure posters, Smith's t-shirts, you know the drill. And I think there's one other thing that I'll say about Career Girls is that, like many of his films, uh, just looking at a plot synopsis, it would be easy to mistake the the concept for a saccharine one or uh, or sort of carrying a certain inherent sentimentality. And I think there is a sentimentality to his films, but it's it's a very idiosyncratic one. And I think uh, Career Girls gives a good example of how it's both an, an affectionate and nostalgic look at, as you said, the, the, the course of a friendship, while also being uh, truly realistic in like a formal sense. It's really getting at uh, the the sort of micro ups and downs of one person's feeling towards another person who they have a very close and complicated relationship with. And it's at a certain point, the specificity and the detail, I think, transcends any objection that you could have to the sentimentality of the premise. Yeah. And I, I think that goes for a lot of his work, really. Um, it's all about the it's all about the details, and these are details that, uh, you know, methodologically, uh, Lee kind of arrives at in collaboration with with his actors. I mean, by now, I think it's pretty well known that you know his his scripts are are generally the product of a long period of sort of improvisate improvisatory uh, rehearsals and conversations with the actors and consideration of the places that they're going to film and so on. And the end result uh, are films that don't feel like anyone else's because um, they've been arrived at differently. Um, it's not just great actors uh, being handed some pages and then um, embodying that. Uh, the actors have had a hand in, uh, in uh, kind of formulating what's going to happen uh, in the films or how it's going to happen. And, um, and that to me makes his body of work, something that's always uh, just kind of inexhaustibly rich because you can keep coming back to it and kind of fixating on someone's performance, you know, uh, you know, speculating about their contribution to the overall work. Um, uh, yeah. Just again, it's about, it's about the details to just, call out uh one more thing from the lineup uh that we don't want uh people we don't want to escape people's notice um we'll be showing a couple of uh lee's uh short films uh during the retrospective as well um those will be paired with features we'll be showing uh the short and curlies uh with meantime uh, his 1983 feature and uh, sense of history uh, a short film he made in the 90s is going to be paired with uh with career girls and I think obviously these films are uh, not as well traveled uh, at this point than um, than his best known features, Topsy Turvies and you know Mr. Turner's and, and like uh, maybe like a Vera Drake or something. Um, but uh, but nevertheless, we think they're uh, quite an important part of 
quite an important piece of the whole puzzle of his career. Um, that also goes for uh, his work in television. His work on, on television is actually quite um, crucial uh, to uh, to his whole body of work, um, much in the same way of, uh, that uh, that's the case for one of his contemporaries, Alan Clark, as well. Um, uh, but that work has been famously difficult to see here in the U.S., and I've heard it'll become easier uh, um, at some point in the future. And that is all, all I can say about that for now. But hopefully, we can um, w- hopefully we can be less obscure uh, at the retrospective. Yeah, keep an ear out in any case for renewed access to to some of Mike Leaves' harder to film, harder to see TV film. And in the meantime, you can see Meantime. Um, and that was unintentional, by the way. Um, you can see Meantime and uh, Bleak Moments, which are both uh, films from that period, which, um, which uh, we, we, you know, we, when we were talking about what to call the retrospective, uh, you know, I think ironically, we, we thought Bleak Moments would be an appropriate series title. But, it's, you know, but we also don't want to make it seem like it's, it's, it's not just that. Um, uh, never mind the fact that he has uh, pretty much all of the films in his body of work that have kind of cheery, upbeat titles are all titled that, uh, ironically. Um, but nevertheless, the films are very, are, are in fact, uh, they do have fun, fun things about them, and they're funny. And, and there's a lot of warmth, even in the bleak moments. Yeah. Uh, also, life's not that fun. So exactly, yeah. it's life is life is bleak and hopeful and happy and what are all the all the other titles of the Mike Lee film? The, the films only contain what what life contains, which is all the which is everything, I guess. So uh, yeah, just to just to conclude. Um, uh this should be uh this should be a really great really interesting retrospective and we we hope you'll come out um see some films uh maybe see all of the films i don't know um but uh but yeah it'll be a real honor to to host mike uh, uh for the retrospective and to discuss his work uh with him he hasn't been to new york in in a little bit uh to present his work so um so that'll be really great. So once again, uh, the retrospective is Human Conditions, the films of Mike Lee. Uh, it's The series dates are May 27th to June 8th, and the retrospective is uh, proudly uh, co-presented with uh, the great Janice films. Uh, so yeah, we'll see you at the movies. See you in the Walter Reed. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, you know, we've had the privilege of um, hearing from you for uh, a couple of nights now, and I thought tonight we can maybe use the opportunity to, to, to continue some of the, the, the themes and topics that have come up, um, especially as it relates to, especially as they relate to this film that we've just seen, uh, which is not your latest film, but uh, your latest film to be released in the U.S. Uh, so... Yesterday, um, you you had some interesting things to say about how you direct actors. Um, I was curious to hear you talk tonight about how you go about casting, um, because at the center of this film is, I, I think, an incredible performance uh, by the actress Lee Ha Young. 
Um, and she's also somebody who is new to your work. You were working with her for the first time. So I'm curious about the process of casting her and the process of casting more generally, because you've described your how you work um, in, in previous discussions. And you know most directors have a part that they've written, and they look for somebody who fits the role. You go into production without a script. So how do you cast when you don't have a script? How do you how do you look for actors? I I think first thing is I uh, make up my mind about uh, kind of a period or the specific date where I will start working on the next film. So uh, can be one month before or. Two months before, okay, I, I will start shooting something on uh, September 5th, something like that. Sometimes I have to change, but usually I uh, succeed following the plan. That's the only thing I, I know for sure. And then around the time, maybe one month before, I start looking uh, start thinking about the actors that I can work with because uh, I have a, I need two things uh, places and uh, main actors to start thinking about film um, uh, so I, instead of uh, having an idea or a script and then trying to find the cast uh, actors for the roles. I, I'm opposite. I, uh, I need uh, actors and places first, and then go from there. So, like a, like a one thousand ideas are possible, but once you have a uh, one actor, main actor decided. It's very intuitive thing. I don't, I don't have any. Uh, <laughs> why I cast this actor? I just uh, cast him or her. Then, then one thousand idea like uh, can be uh, can become like uh, five ideas, and then I, I make a combination with other another main actors, and then the final idea arises. Ideas are not really, uh, it's not even outline. It's just so, uh, for example, this film, when I met her, uh, she was quite thin, uh, almost looking like uh, she just came out of a hospital. <laughs> uh, I didn't expect that. Because, uh, <laughs> And I think that's uh, one of the uh, uh, big reasons that I thought about uh, my sister, who is now who passed away. And uh, there are other things in my life that uh, were reminded by this uh, meeting. At that day, I, I thought about maybe she has an illness. Uh, and she comes back from United States. That that was the, of course, the starting point. Mm -hmm. 
I'm curious about how um, you know new actors enter your work. Um, you often work with the same actors over multiple films. Maybe not every film. Sometimes they you know go away and then come back. And this ensemble, um, you know, I think everybody, almost everybody we see in a film, we've seen in another one of your films. So this, in the case of Lee Ha Young, um, can you tell us a bit more about her and how you how you decided to work with her because she's somebody who had um has had a long career she had sort of was a star in the 80s or so and she also comes from a film family her father is a, a, a quite well-known uh, filmmaker of the 60s and 70s uh lee man he mm, his her father was a, a very very well known and uh, even though he made the genre films uh, he was very diverse and uh, his way of working uh, convinced many people around him that he was a kind of a genius. Um, <laughs> but I haven't seen any of his films. Wait, you haven't seen any? Uh, but, okay. <laughs> uh, actually, one, one. I saw one film produced by my father and mother. Uh, my parents were film producer, and they produced one film by him. This is the one from the sixties, like. Uh, okay. Yeah. They, anyway, I, I don't, I don't uh, remember meeting him, but uh, I know he frequented uh, our house when I was very young. And one day, maybe I was twenty something, and just freshman. The, uh, I found this uh, 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 kind of a winter jacket, and then I, I heard that this is this belongs to uh, her father. He left it there because he was drunk, I guess. <laughs> Nobody knows why that was there. And then, but I liked it because I usually like the worn-out clothes, the used ones instead of new ones, and. Especially those days, it was very pure <laughs> uh, taste for, of mine. And anyway, I liked the clothes and I kept wearing it and my mother didn't like it because it was too worn out and uh, I don't know, she threw away, but I went back, I went to the, uh, this trash can and uh, retrieved it. <laughs> anyway, I have this memory. And then this uh, Ye Young is known for uh, her, how can I say, the, the, his charisma is the right word, I don't know. Uh, not only her ability as an actress, but as a personality. You know, there are a few actors who her, their personality is more important. Uh, I think mm -hmm. so. she was considered like. And then one day, uh, I have this date that I was going to shoot, and then this Lee Young just came up, the name. Maybe because uh, she was there in my mother's funeral, I, I didn't expect her to be there, and she was there because her friends who were friends of my mother. So they brought her to the, my mother's funeral. So we had uh, maybe two minutes, five minutes, or uh, 
chat. And so in that state in my mind, so when I was uh, going to shoot something, I needed someone and this name of Ye Young came up and mm. I called her and she she was very hospitable. She said she wanted to work with me in earnest. So we, we, we made a disappointment and then that's what I felt when I first saw her. She was very thin and then that day this idea about a woman came back from United States with illness, fatal illness. Um, I've heard you say that when you cast actors, you you don't really know their work as actors necessarily. You're more interested in them as people. Is is that the case? So sometimes you have no no sense of their screen persona or presence. More. I don't think that's what I see when I no. see them, oh, especially first time. I not trying, just I see that like that. You know, I see him or her as a person. She might have a great career, but I really don't care. Oh, <laughs> uh, so I, you know, like yourself, you you meet someone and you have this impression, right? I just respect that more. Mm -hmm. um, and then try to while we are talking oh, it can be two hours I, I, while we are talking this uh, one track if I can call it this uh, very ambiguous uh, strange being is in front of me but because of what I am who I am that I'm, at the moment I sense a certain uh, streak or uh, track from this being, and then I uh, hold on to it, and then uh, kind of kind of wait for a certain story or setting comes up because mm -hmm. of this uh, holding on to track of her from her all kinds of track, you know, can be shown and felt by me, shown to me, and then you know what I mean, and then so. That's what I said. You know, yeah. When I met Ye uh, Young, I felt. Um, it's always interesting to me when we see actors, you know, re recur in your films, um, especially when they they seem to be playing the same characters. Um, the two women uh, that they meet, who recognize one of them, who recognizes uh, her as an actress. Um, the uh, I think that the played by Seo Yeon Hwa, who is uh, in many of your films, um, and she's with this companion um, who's played by Lee Yoon Mi, who's also and they they ha they seem to be playing the same characters from the film we saw last night, mm -hmm. the woman who ran, and then there's also Seo Yeon Hwa is also in Grass, and I think she's talking about a house, mm -hmm. which seems to be the house that her character has in the woman who ran. So I, I'm curious about this idea of characters just wandering from one film to another, like act actors wandering from one film to another, playing the same roles from one film to another. And I think you've done this before and with other. Oh, so as far as I'm concerned, I, that isn't very, oh, it isn't not clear my intention. Okay. Oh, but I, I of course, oh, thought about it and, uh, 
maybe people make a connection because they appear in different film with the same kind of character or like that. But it, it wasn't that important for me. No. So they're not necessarily the same person. Yeah, mm -hmm. can be and with some difference. Yeah. But uh, I think the for a certain audience, I think it wouldn't be so. Uh, I think in this case, maybe because of the film screening back-to-back -back nights, it's more uh, <laughs> more more conspicuous. And even with that, the connection making is okay. Yeah. Uh, why, why not? So that brings me to an interesting idea in terms of how you work because um, repetition is something that you, you work with within a film and also from film to film. So I guess you, for you, this seems like a ridiculous question to ask you, but like repeating yourself, you, you, you're not concerned with repeating yourself, right? In, in I think even though I try to repeat something, I cannot repeat exactly. Yeah. And then, in a sense, we are repeating everything. Yeah. So why worry? As long as I feel something fresh yeah. on what I'm doing, it's okay. So you wouldn't go back to check a film to see what you did? Uh, what you do? One day, one of my assistants came to me very uh, discreetly and said, this sentence came up in a different film and then on, I, I mean, at the moment I didn't... But did you change it or do you say it's no, fine? No, I it's fine. <laughs> because uh, as I said, even though I tried to make something totally new, mm -hmm. it's impossible. Even though I try to make exactly the same thing, it's impossible. Yeah. Important thing is different thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't care. Um, the other repetition I notice is that they go to a bar called Novel, which is also the name of a bar in the day he arrives. Is it the same place or not? It's the same place okay. going to. <laughs> Oh, you mean in this? In this film, they oh. go to a bar called. It's the same owner, <laughs> sa uh, same, same bar, but mm. uh, she moved to this new place. Ah, that's why it looked different. Right? Uh, <laughs> but uh, 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 it's totally irrelevant. But uh, that place was her first bar with that name. Okay. And for some reason, she moved to different bar. And then one of the bar place was the where I shot this the day he arrived. Yeah. And strangely, he f she found this place empty again. She moved <laughs> to this bar. So maybe that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm going to ask a couple more and then just open it up. You know, the other thing I was hoping you could maybe, you know, just expand on a bit. Um, it's interesting you say that you came up with a story when you saw, um, you know, Lee Hye Young as a, a, a being very thin, and, and it sparked ideas for you about illness. Um, the other important, I guess, theme in the film is uh, something that you touched on in in previous discussions here, which is belief uh, and this question of faith. And it's interesting that there's this, you know, recurring um, monologue in the film where she's expressing gratitude, you know, repeating some kind of mantra. Um, they're sort of prayers, but they're, you know, I, it's, it's unclear 
what god or what belief system she's um you know is applies here so i'm wondering if you want to talk about the how belief enters the the film for you given what you've talked about in the last couple of nights uh, i think it's a subject might take long long time so um, I will just say that uh, this uh, her attitude and her remarks, her uh, monologue came to me like all the other things in the building. I just I respect uh, what I call what is given instead of what I uh, search and found. So I try to be open and. Something always comes up, and then I I just respect that. Uh, so I I call it what it, the process of what is being given is accepted by me, and then that that the, her remark monologue and prayer came up with in the same process. That's one thing, and then of course it reflects something going on inside me and uh, I'm I'm very being I'm, I like to be careful about saying this very 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 personal thing uh, so just uh, I stop <laughs> yeah. um, I wanted to ask about the ending of the film um, and her reaction to the voicemail um, which is to laugh but it's a it's an incredible laugh <laughs> also um, because not just because of how long it goes on for but also of how much it seems to contain uh, and I'm wondering how you worked uh, with her in that scene and what kind of direction you know you gave her or if you just allowed her to interpret it as she wanted to mm. Uh, same with the, all the other actors and uh, all the other scenes. I just try to, I kind of pray that I have a right dialogues for the actors for the day. And if it fits them, then I don't need to tell them anything almost. Only when they interpret uh, in the wrong way, Obviously, then after the audio, so then I tell them maybe you should change this interpretation because it's possible always to read the sentence in a different way. But otherwise, I try my comments or direction really minimum level. Each take they they interpret and respond to the sentences I I given them in a little different way. Uh, working in ensemble with other actors, so it's really, uh, really interesting to see what they do every take, and I choose among all these takes. So, for the scene or uh, action she uh, uh, acting she did, or uh, it was a combination of what I wrote down. And what I what she has been building up inside her 
during the shooting and her personality mm-hmm. and something else guiding us. <laughs> yeah. Um, you were talk. You have talked. Um, I think last night about just you know just being very responsive to the conditions of you know around you when you're shooting, um, and I think uh, you know that sort of sets the mood of the film. Um, you know, and and uh, weather is important in your films, and I think the rain in this film is is very important. And I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about how you work with the elements. You know, I like think I didn't really think too much, but I, I really like weather change. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I bought this big book written by some English writer about the weather change. You know, I was happy to found, find that kind of book. Anyway, this um, weather is so amazing, changing this weather. It's, I think it's the, the, for me, the biggest symbol of uh, what is being given to me. You know, it's weather I cannot ask for. It's just in the morning it's there, and I have to live through it. So it's always it's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, today is like this, today is like that. So it's so one of the important elements. And also, as a as a filmically speaking, you know, it gives you different light, different mood to me and the actors, and and it affects us. And then I follow that direction in a way. <laughs> so it's very important. Do you always work with the weather you're given, or do you wait for changes? Oh. Because some people, I mean, some directors will like wait for you know light mm-hmm. or things that they want to happen, or or bring in a rain machine or something. I can, I cannot be hundred percent sure, but about ninety nine percent, I never waited for the uh, specific weather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always like, well, for example, in this film, the raining scene, mm-hmm. it or just I. Uh, heard that the, the day I'm going to shoot is going to be rain, so I uh, just followed it. Oh, I I can give you example better example. So when uh, my actress Kim Min is there, and we first met with the feeling called right now wrong then, and then I. The last day of shooting, I wrote down in the morning that uh, a certain direction of ending. And then we were all ra- lazy that we didn't know that it was going to have a, we, we were going to have uh, snow that day. And we, while we were shooting the first scene of the day, and the, the snow started fell, fall. So, but it was very uh, light snow. But I thanked it, and then I shot it through it. And then we had lunch time. It was like uh, 30 minutes, quite short. I came out first, and then it was like uh, this thickness of uh, snow. For about 30 minutes, the snow fell so much. The whole world is different. So I changed the ending. Instead of the male character going away, I changed the female character going away, and then changed the, the other things too. 
So this uh, is, uh, I think, a good example, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh. And the rain in this film, the alley, when they're walking. I just liked it when I heard that it's going to be a rain. Yeah, so you know, I, I just liked the idea. Mm -hmm. Rain is falling outside this bar. So I wrote something in yeah. the morning. Um, all right, we have uh, time for a few audience questions, and I believe we have microphones as well. So if you raise your hand, uh, we will get a microphone to you. Um, we have a couple of hands in the front, uh, if we can. What would you give advice for like aspiring um, film directors? Like, what was like? I know this question is given to you a lot, but it actually means a lot to me. <laughs> Odd advice to the aspiring directors. Mm -hmm. I think I, I would, if I'm meeting someone, you know, very comfortable setting, and he is an aspiring director, maybe I will say something. But uh, all these aspiring directors, I don't know whether I. <laughs> I think uh, uh, it's not advice, but uh, I think of becoming or being a, a director or any kind of uh, serious artist, you don't need a, a push. They are already doing it. So just. Hello, can you hear me? Hello, thanks a lot for this amazing movie. I guess you discussed this before, I don't know, maybe not an evening, but in terms of production, I was wondering, I guess this movie kind of qualifies as a low-budget movie in the US, or that's basically part of the first question. Assuming that, I guess you have a very small team and have certain core roles, and so my question is, what kind of roles do you keep, need for the core team? How big is the core team? How long do you shoot? What roles do you do yourself? Maybe I stop. <laughs> mm. well, nowadays, uh, so including myself, it's three, four, three, four. Uh, I I shoot and I write, I direct, and I edit, I mix, I compose, and the uh, Kimini, my uh, she's my uh, production manager. And she acts, she does the still photography, and she advises me in many other things. <laughs> we talk about the costume, things like that, all that. And there's one production person. She she comes to our office three times a week. And uh, this new person, happy, happy, happy coincidence, she originally did this uh, boom, boom thing. So now I think we don't need a, another extra person. <laughs> So maybe next film will be done by three crews. Yeah, a really, really wonderful film as usual. Um, I just wanted to ask, what do you think is the relationship between reality and film? If that question makes any sense. Uh, relationship between what and what? Reality and film. A reality and film. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to ask that. No, oh, it's not just, oh, I don't, 
For me, the reality is just name. We, we all share the uh, definition of a concept of reality, whatever. Uh, but the reality, I don't think anybody really knows what it is. It's just so uh, we, be- we have this uh, dictionary term of reality. So we use it for background for many uh, arguments and belief, things like that. But um, I, I, I thought about this and I told them, I told other audiences. Uh, but uh, for example, it's a stupid example, but uh, if I have one ice cream and then I taste it, and he tastes the same ice cream, and he said, I say yellow, oh yes, it's yellow, and how yellow it is, and we can talk about it 100 years, 100 years about this taste, I cannot be sure we are talking about the same thing. So we just stop in the middle and uh, pretend we share something, right? So, so I don't worry too much about reality. <laughs> uh, I think, what about film was the other part of the question. <laughs> the, the question is about... Um, <laughs> so I don't think in terms of a relationship between uh, reality and film. I just do uh, making films. I don't know why. I can come up with some reasons, but I know they are just uh, made-up reasons. Has uh, some connection with my being, but cannot represent at all what what it is going on. So I just do what I do. As long as I feel um, I want to do, that's what I'm doing, <laughs> and that's what I think about reality. Okay, we'll take one final question. Uh, yeah, let's come come down here. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I noticed that in your films, and including this film, a lot of things start starts at a uh, at a shot of the food. So, what um, uh, what food means to you and your films, and why uh, are they like so important in your films, especially uh, sake, uh, like the wine, and uh, sometimes cor- especially Korean food. Thank you. I. I'm not sure I, I can say 100%, but I think largely true because I try to use the element that is close to me in everyday setting. And they I hope they become a somehow uh, organic whole as a film. So instead of uh, have a, for example, theme or uh, outline narrative, outline and then fill up with other details. 
I try to not use, but um, something from my life, very small thing, eating or walking and opening the door, meeting or someone, like all those things in different levels just come to me and they mix together and become one. And one other thing is uh, eating, I guess. So I don't put the meaning or want you to have a clear interpretation of, of seeing this uh, eating scene in my feeling. Because I'm eating every day, it's important. And why not use it? People eat too. But um, anybody can make anything with, uh, with it. Uh, you can make a meaning out of it. You can just look at it and go through it. You can find the, um, you can, by looking at this person's, uh, how she eats, you can get some impression from that and uh, use it as a part of character. Uh, characteristics all right we have to wrap it up but we have one more opportunity to um, hear from director hong tomorrow at five o'clock uh, it's here uh, it's a free talk so you know uh, come get your tickets for that uh, and we have more films in the retrospective uh, thank you all for coming and director hong thank you again post-apocalyptic Italy, Mondo Canet tells the story of two boys who join a gang to survive, only to have their friendship put to the test by its charismatic leader. A hit at the Venice Film Festival, Cine Europa calls it an entertaining, dystopic work that draws from John Carpenter to Lord of the Flies. And Vanity Fair says, Oliver Twist meets Blade Runner in the dusty and industrial world of Mondo Canet. The film opens May 20th at the Angelica Film Center in New York and coming soon to select cities. More info at cinemamadeinitaly.com.